Welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Bruce Kasman. With me this week is Joe Lupton. Hey, Joe. Hey, Bruce. How's it going in DC? You still there? Yeah, and I wanted to start by just uh, talking a little bit about the uh, uh, experiences we've had at the IMF meeting. I'll leave the, the, the actually very good restaurants I ate at, but uh, let's- Too many. <laughs> too many, that's for sure. I hope it doesn't show. But uh, <laughs> let's- Let's talk about the tone at the meetings, because what I was struck by is this sort of downhill slide. It started off pessimistic, and by the uh, time I finished the meetings yesterday, I felt like I needed some uh, antidepressants. I so. was just going to make the joke that they should have handed out antidepressants at the beginning of it, because it was a pretty <laughs> downbeat mood. I mean, my, my sense is everyone has such a good, has had had such a good ride, riding rates up in terms of, uh, you know, kind of playing that trade that they just don't know how it's going to end. And the only way it can end is is a downfall. And, and you start talking about Europe and nuclear war and Russia. It was it was a pretty, pretty grim, uh, pretty grim conference, I thought. Well, I guess the way I'm thinking about it is there's a, a general recognition that with inflation so persistently high and central banks on the move now, that bad things are going to happen. In some ways, I, I'd be comfortable with the characterization that we're on some sort of unsustainable path here. Um, and I think that's, that's, that's reasonable. And there's every reason to express concern about that. And, but I, I think the, the problem I have with some of the conversations I've had this week is there's a conflation of that narrative with the sense that something very bad is going to happen right away. And that's where I, I would push back against that. Um, and I think some of the news that we've been seeing, uh, particularly in the U.S., but not only in the U.S., is actually giving me comfort that uh, it's probably uh, unlikely that something particularly bad happens in the global economy over the next three to six months. Now, I'm not sure how you feel about that, but let me... Well, let me... I'll just, I mean, it, it, this wouldn't be one of our usual calls if I didn't take the other oh, side no, of what you were you saying. <laughs> I thought you were going to I mean, agree with me on this one, Joe. Well, you know, obviously, I agree on the notion that we are concerned about the story of uh, the, the the recession really coming about from a central bank induced recession, as inflation does not come down as enough or as quickly as as they want, and that is something that sets you up for kind of recession dynamic maybe in the second half of next year or into twenty four. That I I agree with that story. I would say um, I've been a little bit more open-minded about something breaking on the financial stress side of things. I mean, for the for a long time, I've been saying, I don't really see where that's coming from. Balance sheets are healthy. And, you know, I think you're reminded of the fact, and the UK is a reminder, not that the UK idiosyncratic nature is a, is a read-through doubts, where in fact we said don't read through, but the idea that there are things we don't know about, things that can go bump in the night when rates go up 300 basis points over the less than uh, three months globally. I mean, th there could be something that's going on, and we are starting to see stress in sovereign sovereign liquidity. Uh, and and it's not just the, the likes of UK and Italy, but US, Germany um, are seeing some kind of pressures building on the liquidity front. And you know that that is a concern over the over the near term. Well, I think that's a concern. I'm not I'm I'm all in agreement of that. In fact, I would be surprised if we didn't see some more stress show up. Uh, I also would be surprised if Europe didn't slide into uh, a contraction 
this quarter. And I also would be surprised if China didn't have a, a very material slowing in, in growth. At the same time, and, and uh, um, I'd be also surprised if peace broke out in, in Ukraine. But um, at the same time, I think I'd also be very surprised if the U.S. economy slid into recession in the next six months, even with those events uh, in the backdrop. Uh, I think we're in a world in which, uh, uh, having displayed quite a bit of resilience in the first half of the year in the face of very large shocks, some of those shocks are, are fading quite uh, powerfully right now, particularly the headline inflation um, uh, drop. And we we obviously want to talk about core inflation in the Fed as well, which is certainly a concern, but the, the drop well, off that, in headline inflation- that plays inflation, into the story, right? That headline yes. inflation is coming down and actually that's a support for growth, but it's not coming down enough. And therefore that sets up the the risk for later next year into 24. So right. I think, and I think that's all fair. I just want mm -hmm. to make sure we people understand that as we're moving uh, through the third quarter and turning towards the fourth, uh, the fall in inflation is helping uh, purchasing power. Uh, As you saw in this week's retail sales numbers in the U.S. was strong, coupled right. with uh, strong motor vehicle sales earlier, right? Yeah, and we haven't had a quarter, even one quarter, really, of bad profits yet. And we're um, we're sitting with corporates continuing to show uh, indications of hiring uh, and, and spending on CapEx. And this is why I was going to, the other part that I was going to, take the other side of. And I think when you're in a room full of, you know, 200, you know, in investors who are all fairly downbeat, you're forced into playing the other side. There is somewhat, people call it the immaculate disinflation, somewhat disingenuously, because I think that story can be told, right? And I, you know, maybe it's not in our modal view, and we're worried about the story we've been laying out here, but it's, not crazy to think that core inflation does start to roll over, service inflation does roll over, rents start to roll over, healthcare prices start well, to I start think, to come down. I think you are seeing goods prices roll over. No, no, I know the goods is, but what's but the core concerning goods. people core is service. Right, yeah. Well, I so I think it, we have to right? realize that there is a piece of the core inflation picture that is rolling. We have had now five months in a row of non-fuel import prices in the U.S., contracting. We are seeing signs that used car prices are starting to come off their super highs. The dollar is an impulse that's going to continue to be helping you. I mean, the- There's more to come too on that, right? Yeah, that's my point. That that stuff is going to continue to roll and that's helping you in the purchasing power way. And it's giving you some disinflation. The problem, as you're noting, is that the services stuff is going to probably take some time to run. And this gets you to the issue around uh, the Fed, because I think the Fed will need at some point to have a leap of faith about the future, um, because if it keeps tightening until it gets uh, most of the way to achieving its goals, then we are going to get, you know, clocked. I mean, what will be it. interesting is, and you and I were talking about this earlier today, is just the degree to which the Fed has patience. And there's no doubt if you listen to the Fed now, you would say, oh, these these guys will not have patience. They're going to be very data dependent on looking at these core sticky core measures and they're going to have to keep going and that's what sets up this kind of recession call that you're kind of flirting with as we look towards later later next year but it's certainly with headline inflation coming down core goods coming down and maybe some hint of a plateauing in some of these other stickier services that may actually give them a little bit more courage to to think about 
patience around the long and variable lags of the tightening they've already done. And then that is the soft landing story that I think is something that's where I was going with this. There is an optimistic soft landing story. The probability of that is not zero at this point. No, the probability of only, almost anything you can think of is, is not going to be zero. I would put the uh, probability of soft landing. Well, let's just put it out there for viewers. I, where would you put the probability of soft landing? So we define a soft landing as not requiring the U.S. unemployment rate to get up to 5% or higher yeah. in, time in the next two yeah. or three years. Yeah. Well, I, not three I, years. I, I don't know. That's getting a little crazy. Let's just say in the next uh, uh, 12 to 18 months. Well, no, that that I I say I'm 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 a I'm a guy who thinks this could play out longer, but it's still not sustainable. So, but that but but Bruce, you of all people, that's like saying like, yeah, recession's going to happen at some point, right? Yeah, I, I'd it, agree with that statement. Yeah, exactly. So let's just stick with. Well, let me well, let me the well let me say this. I think the chances of hitting a recession in the next uh, six months is probably thirty uh, percent or so. Uh, I think the probability of hitting a recession in the 18. next 28, in the 18 months following that is probably uh, over 50%. So, well, yeah, 18 months following. I, I'm kind of so, wondering, like, are we going to be in recession by the end of next year? We'll see. Um, <laughs> so, um, I, but I want to make another point here about the Fed, because I think uh, uh it, it's important complementary one to the one you just made. So the point you made, which is an important one, is that the Fed, having been burned on its ability to forecast and how it's communicated on inflation um, over the last uh, year, is probably averse to taking strong forward-looking uh, views and, and, and therefore its patience uh, um, you know, with the lags in monetary policy is not going to be that great. Uh, they may be helped here, and this is where one of the interesting wrinkles, I think, is by stress starting to build here, which might change the uh, equation in terms of how they think. But mm -hmm. the the other thing I wanted to say here is what one thing that worries me right now is that there is a trade-off uh, between creating a, a, a recession that's too deep relative to what's needed to, to contain inflation and doing too little and therefore keeping inflation going. It's a genuine trade-off and it's a difficult one to get right. But what I worry about is that the the balancing of that risks for the economy in an objective way is not the risk balancing that the Fed is doing from an institutional point of view, which is to say that as the Fed as an institution sits here right now, the risk that they create too deep a recession at a time that inflation is high is much less to them than the risk that they allow inflation to go on in a world in which the unemployment rate is low. So that institutionally, their biases may be shifting in a way uh, that leads to worse outcomes because they have far more uh, uh, threat as an institution of messing up on inflation than um, they would if they made a mistake and gave us too deep a recession here. Um, I don't so, know, Bruce, I mean, that's it. I mean, it's easy to to say right now we're sitting in a world with very low unemployment rate, labor markets feel great and inflation sees, seems way too high and that's what everyone is is complaining about. So it feels like that's what they're really getting kind of pinned to the wall about. If we're sitting here in six months and inflation is at three and a half percent, which we would argue is too high and very well could push the Fed into doing a lot more. But if it's at three and a half percent and 
unemployment uh, unemployment's picking up jobs are contracting 200,000 there's institutional challenges there there's political challenges there and there's people are saying why are you still hiking into this but they won't still be hiking into it if you I mean minus well, why are you doing more I mean they I I think it it's both I'm just sides talking they have out. to care about both sides of the of the of mandate. course they care about both sides but the question is whether their their risks are balanced in the way that's in the best interest of the economy and i'm not yeah, sure it right, is right now, now right now i think everyone in his agreement i i think something we've been saying on these videos for for a while now and it was was flagged at, at our macro conference a few weeks ago is is that it's easy right now to have this conversation and talk about the risks it's going to be more challenging when you start to see payroll sitting at 50,000 and the unemployment rate drifting up towards four and a half percent and inflation all the way down to three, three and a half percent, you're going to have a lot more debate and disagreement and conversations about long and variable lags, uh, you know, within the board, let alone the rest of the the economy. Oh, for sure. Um, so, um, let's let's switch gears here because I think uh, as we turn towards uh, next week we have important signals coming out of China. What is it that we're looking to see there? China, in my mind, is probably one of the softer points in the outlook. It's probably the place where I I personally feel the most downside risks. I know that I think our, our house view is we're saying risks are relatively balanced, but uh, I think COVID and, and housing, uh, the real estate sector are two big challenges for the economy. Uh, the data next week are going to be showing uh, a very big bounce back. There's no doubt that reopening was happening, and we're going to looking for 9.5% annualized on the quarter after an 8.7% annualized contraction. Uh, we should be seeing uh, continued sluggishness on the consumer, which underscores some of the concerns I'm talking about. And by the way, you are seeing COVID cases kind of pick up after what was the holiday, kind of the holiday week that they had. and that is just a reminder that COVID has not gone away in China. This start-stop is is the big risk factor there. So re retail sales are expected to be down modestly. Uh, industrial production is going to be strong again, 1% up, uh, aided partly by infrastructure, partly by trade. Um, and on the infrastructure side, it's going to be um, you know aided by the uh, or fixed asset investment side will be aided by infrastructure uh, will be good. Manufacturing goods, capital goods should be okay, but real estate will continue to be a drag. So the areas of weakness are still going to be there. And I think it's still going to keep the downside risk very much, certainly on my mind, and I would hope uh, investors' minds as well. And I, I just sort of compliment that because I, I, I agree with you that China is probably the place with the biggest downside risk right now. Um, I think Part of that is also the idea that what we're seeing in Europe uh, with the support packages coming from Germany, if we can look through some of the noise in the UK, there was actually an important support package delivered there. And actions which might be starting to gel here on a collective basis in the EU, uh, it doesn't remove the downside for the uh, European outlook here. And certainly we have we have geopolitical wildcards we don't want to ignore. Yeah. But, and and uh, I, I think what we're, we're, you and I are both. Gotta let me finish my thought, Joe. Oh, okay. But but, but, <laughs> but uh, uh, I do think the fiscal uh, supports here are limiting that downside, and I think the idea that we'd have a a deep recession here uh, doesn't look 
like it's nearly as big a risk. And also, if you get through the winter and you don't have a, a, a deep recession, Europe has a decent amount of pent up demand that could kick in here. That could, you know, this is not the the um, uh, European uh, sovereign crisis where you had a set of things which, for a relatively long period of time, kept weighing and weighing, particularly uh, the policy side, weighing on on the economy. This is something that if you can get through it, and given the fiscal supports, if you come out uh, of it next uh, uh, spring, you could have a, a decent balance. Well, actually, so now, I would have um, said post-sovereign credit crisis was a pretty strong rebound, right? Yeah, but it took uh, you, two years before you got there. That's Well, that point. was because the crisis dragged on for, for well, quite the crisis a while. Dragged I think on you didn't have, because, of, I, because the pro-cyclical fiscal policy that kept adding to the to the problem as well as the institutional stuff. Yeah, that's, that, so, that's right. So, so the, the thing kind of dragged. Yeah, I, I just wanted to clarify. I know you didn't mean this when you, because I agree China is the, is where we see probably the more downside. I, I want to be clear. It's downside relative to our forecast. We have Europe in recession, right? So right, we have five they, they are the weak point. They're the weak man in the, in the global economy right now. But relative to those expectations, and I've been saying this for a while, both on natural gas, on fiscal, that I think there's upsides to that forecast. And that's been playing out quite nicely. China, we have actually okay, solid growth, but I think the risks to that are to the downside. Totally agree. Just again, the numbers for China for the next two quarters, uh, this quarter and first is averaging about 5%. So that's that's reasonably decent performance that we're talking about the risk around. Okay, so I think we'll um, end it there and um, lots to be considering and uh, hope we can continue the conversation next week on JP Morgan TV. Thank you very much.